Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for tuning to another episode of The Bright Side with Technicia. Today is October 24th, 2017, and it's a wonderful, beautiful day out there. Let's enjoy this season while we can. While we can, this is going to be great today because of most of you know, a lot of us have these businesses. So here with me, he will be discussing. I won't give out his name just yet till he appears, but he will be discussing about businesses, how to buy and sell because a lot of us don't know how to do that. We get into business, but we don't know how to start it up or which direction to go. So. We will be discussing all of those things for you. And you can always have the opportunity to chat with me live, which I will start the moment that he is on. And also, you could call in at 347-426-3751. But at the moment, I'm going to hit you with a little tunes. But you stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Doesn't make sense now. It just got real, things are getting intense now I hear you talking about we a lot, oh you speak French now Giving me the sign so I gotta take a hint now I hit you up like, do you wanna hang right now? On the east side and you know I'm with the gang right now they do, I own a watch, do I know what time it is right now? Yeah. It's after 2 a.m. and that's asking a lot of you right now. All she talking about is come and see me for once. Come and see me for once. You don't ever come to me. You don't ever come to me. All she ever says, come and see me for once. Come and see me for once. You don't ever come to me. You don't ever come to me. I've been up for two whole days thinking what I did to keep you going. Thumbing through the voicemails that you left me telling me where I went wrong. I'll admit I'm sorry when I feel I'm truly sorry. Things change, people change, feelings change too. Never thought the circumstances would have changed you You said you never traded, no Yeah, you said that, you said that you said And I believed you when they told me don't Yeah, I thought you meant that, thought you meant that, thought you meant that Well, either way, you're still invited and I can't even lie to you Swear these days, all you say is come and see me for us Come and see me for us you don't ever come to me You don't ever come to me How she hit me with is come and see me for us Come and see me for us oh. Y'all don't ever come to me Y'all don't ever come to me Why you gotta start, girl? Why you gotta start? I know we make time for the things that we want I know you got another nigga trying to play the part Cause he got a heart, don't mean he got a heart Could be standing in the field and he still ain't in the field If anything should change, then I thought we had a deal Lately you keep questioning what you get out the deal Doing things to make me feel the way I make it feel How hard is it to let you know when I'm coming home? That way you could be prepared, maybe take a couple sick days and I miss pay I don't even know what things are looking like inside of your place Or how it's decorated Thing is getting one-sided, I can't even lie to you right now Yeah All she talking about is come and see me for once Come and see me for once Y'all don't ever come to me Y'all don't ever come to me Yeah All she hit me with is come and see me for once 
come and see me for once You don't ever come to me Y'all never come to me All right. You were just listening to Come and See Me featuring Drake. But I now have my guest on, David Barnett, who is a graduate of the Williams School of Business and Economics at Bishop's University and a graduate of UMBSJ's Electronic Commerce Management Program. But what makes him even fancier is since the late 90s, Mr. Barnett has been building his profile as an expert in the field of small and medium-sized enterprises. He began in 2006 building his professional consulting practice by starting Advantage Liquidity Partners and is a broker of commercial debt solutions for small and medium-sized enterprises, including commercial mortgages, business loans, factoring facilities, and capital leases. Barnett has arranged such financing for over 100 small and medium-sized companies working with entrepreneurs to build their companies and or acquire other firms naturally led to the field of business brokerage. And he is also an author. If I am correct, Mr. Barnett has at least seven books out. I don't want to. I don't want to end up messing it up. And one of his books we will be discussing about that I had the pleasure of downloading on Kindle: How to Sell My Own Business. Um, oh, and I can give you other titles too to his book: Twelve Things to Do Before You Consider Selling Your Business, which will be an interesting book to have on your shelf. 21 stupid things people do when trying to buy a business, credit card advantage, franchise warnings, invest local. These books are out, and you could definitely catch them on Amazon. But enough about all that. We're going to let David do all the talking himself. David, thank you so much for being on, man. I really appreciate this. Hi, Technisha. How are you doing today? I am blessed. I'm. I, it's a beautiful day here in Georgia. You know, we our state is known to have bipolar weather. <laughs> but it is gorgeous well, that, today. It is. It's wonderful. I love the weather. So you want to talk about selling businesses? Is that it? I I would. I would. First and foremost, David, let's talk a little bit about you because you're in this small business management and you've been doing this since, like I said, the 1990s. So what actually caught your insight? What was the Ignite? that got you started? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've always been one to have my eye out for a way to make money. And, you know, when I was young, it was mowing people's lawns and delivering flyers for businesses and those types of childhood businesses. But even when I got older, when I got to university, um, you know, in, in the early 90s, uh, you know, Zippo lighters were very popular. I don't know if you remember that, the, the stainless oh, steel lighters. Yeah. And so I noticed that people everywhere were, were carrying these Zippo lighters when they, you know, the people who smoke cigarettes. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to put the university crest on the lighter? So I got a copy of the crest and I sent it into the Zippo lighter company and, and tried to order some. And they immediately saw that for what it was, a copywritten image, right? So they, they mailed me a letter back and they said I had to have permission to use the image and they'd be more than happy to help me if, if I got permission. So so I actually went and met with the vice principal of the university and, and worked out a royalty arrangement with the school, and I paid them a royalty fee to use their image, and I had the Zippo letter company make those cigarette letters, and I sold some myself, but the majority of them, I actually wholesaled them to the university's own bookstore, and they sold them for me. And so I've always had my eye out for a way to make money for a problem that had to be solved. And when I got out of university, I started working with a Yellow Pages publisher. So I had the pleasure of going out and meeting and talking to all these business owners of these local businesses. And this was back before the Internet was as easy to use as it is today. I, in those days, if you typed plumber into Google, you'd get a plumber in California, right? They hadn't figured out how to search for things locally at that time. And so right. – Everyone was still in the yellow pages, and I got to meet and talk with these people and learn about their business and figure out what kind of customers they wanted. And so that's really when I was able to learn about local small business 
because, of course, in business school, they, they teach you about big businesses. They teach you how to be a middle manager over at General Electric or one of those big outfits. And, and that's never where my heart was. I, I always wanted to be a deal maker and making sales and serving people. And, and so I've always ended up in the realm of small business. And, and on top, of all the different kinds of people out there I could deal with and serve and do business with, the ones I enjoyed the most were the business owners. And so that's how I've always ended up either consulting or in a business of my own where those were my customers is the people who own the small businesses. Oh, wow. That's right. We can't forget about the small businesses. We don't even look at those. And I think we have a special day. I forgot which month it is where you go to a small business and show your appreciation for them because, hey, they're the ones who we have to look at. It's not Marriott or CarMax and all those corporate companies. The small businesses are the ones that we need to watch out for. We have to put our love and support into them too. Now, what's interesting, David, I heard from a little birdie that you also, you finance your own car. Was it something like that a little bit? Can we get that story? Yeah. So uh, actually one of the books I wrote, Invest Local, is all about how I invest my own money. So so I'm, I'm not a big fan of putting money into the stock market because, you know, it goes up into the big banks or Wall Street and it's out of right. your control. And so using my own understanding and knowledge about how things work day to day, I look for other ways to invest my money, but I, I try to learn from the banks because when you put your money at the bank, they give you a very small rate of interest. But what do they mm-hmm. then do with your money? They, they go and they lend it to people who want to buy cars and things like this, right? Right. So I, uh, my ex-wife and I, we owned a, a small SUV, and she took it around to a bunch of different dealers because she wanted to trade it in. And, you know, they were offering her like $3,500 for this car. And I could see online that people were advertising them for sale privately for seven to $8,000. And she wanted to turn it in as a dealer. And I said, why don't you give me a weekend and see if I can't sell this car? And, and she said, you know, all these other cars have been on here for weeks. They're not moving. So I, I put an ad online and uh, I basically said, you know, here's the car. Here are the details. Uh, we want $7,000. And financing is available to the right buyer with a reasonable down payment. And my phone rang off the hook. Because, of course, you know the way that people buy cars is they buy the payment, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you look at the way the car dealers advertise, and they're advertising how much it is per month for the car. And I knew that most people, if they're buying a used car, they might not have seven or $8,000 in the bank, but they might have a couple thousand. And that very weekend, we met a young couple, and they were looking for a second car. And uh, they said, how much do we have to put down? And I said, I'll consider anything as long as it's reasonable. How much do you have? And you know what? You know, guess how much money they had, Technisha? Uh-oh. Um, you want to guess? $10? No, they had $3,500. So oh, my. The day, the, the day we sold the car, we got the same money we would have gotten from the car dealer anyway. And oh, then I accepted, 12, I accepted 12 post-dated checks for the balance. I didn't charge them interest mm. or anything. But okay. it's an example of how people can get creative with the flow of money and and do better for themselves and not leave all those profits on the table for the car dealer or the banker or any of those other people. You can can take control of those opportunities and make them opportunities for yourself. And so in in the book, Invest Local, I talk about Mm -hmm. how you would finance a car and protect yourself the way a bank would by registering a lien or or holding a, a, a title, depending on what state you're in. Uh, there's different ways to do it. Oh, I definitely need to make sure I have that book. Yes, we got to stay educated because a lot of this stuff we don't know because we've been misinformed. And you're right, we be thinking the banks are on our side, but the only one purpose for them is to generate as many profits as legally possible. That's all the banks are for. They, and when they feel that they are done with you, they're done with you. For instance, with Bank of America, I had a incident where I trusted someone to deposit money to my account. They never got back to me. That was a stupid mistake that I ever done. And the bank, no questions asked, closed me down. I was like, wow. Even though they returned my money, but I was thinking the same way, you, like you were saying about the stock market, how it goes up and down. And I'm thinking, 
it's a little differently, but imagine my money in something and you just you just, you just turn down, you shut it down, then where it goes. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, to, and to, to the point about the stock market, you know, the bank has a lot of money, but they don't invest in the stock market. They mm-hmm. invest in loaning money to you and I, right, for mortgages and car loans and things. And, and the reason for that is that they're betting on a sure thing. They're betting on a certain amount of money every month, and that's something the stock market doesn't give us. When we put money into something like the stock market, we're gambling on it going up. And, of course, the banker, he wants the same amount of money every month out of you. And if you can't deliver, of course, then he comes and gets the car or the house or whatever it is. So they bet on a sure thing with a plan B. And that's something that most regular folks don't actually do. Wow. It's it's amazing. It really is. It's good information. Now, in the beginning of your book, um, mm-hmm. how to sell, how to sell my own business. You speak on how on home sales, and and how the fact that many of the sellers are truly, you know, dumbfounded. They're ignorant. They don't have no business sense. Um, in one way, what is the issue? What is the problem that most home sellers are doing, David, when they're selling homes? What is the proper way to do it? Well, I, in the in the book, I draw the parallel between people selling homes and people selling businesses. And Mm -hmm. the point I make in the book is that many people understand how a home is sold because so many people do it. You know, most Americans over a certain age have probably bought or sold a home. And so there's a lot of common knowledge out there about how one goes about doing it and how the deal goes down. And the, the big difference is when you go to sell a business, that same level of common knowledge doesn't exist because most people are not entrepreneurs or business owners. Most people will have a job for their whole life. And so, number one, oh, a very yeah. small portion of people who end up owning a business, and then many businesses, of course, unfortunately close, um, and, and they're not sold. And so most business owners and entrepreneurs will get one shot, maybe, in their career at selling mm-hmm. a business. And what they'll do is they'll bring their ideas that come from other things, like selling cars and selling homes and things, and they'll bring that into the deal and selling a business is really a very different kind of thing. Um, it is. The, the first big thing is that businesses have a value based on their cash flow. And so I've actually had people over the years where they've had businesses that have you know, been okay businesses, and they've taken money and they've continuously reinvested in things in the business that didn't do anything to improve the cash flow. So maybe they made the, you know, the premises nicer or they invested in new signage and they did all these things, but the sales never changed and the profits never changed. Well, guess what? The value of the business hasn't changed. And so importantly, what you have to consider is when you're running your business and when you're making investments to improve your business, you Mm -hmm. always have to be focused on the profit motive because the profit and cash flow is what determines the value. That's, that's number one. And And the second thing is that when businesses sell, uh, they don't normally sell on a cash basis. When, when you okay. sell a house, the buyer can go and get a mortgage, right? And right. so they borrow money at the bank, and they bring that money to closing, and you go through escrow and all that. But at the end of the day, you get all the money. And when you, when you sell a business, that isn't always the case because people can't get financing for certain aspects of a business. So if it's a very good, well-run, profitable business, there will be something called goodwill, and that's very difficult to borrow for. And so in almost every case, sellers end up taking a down payment on closing, and then they get money over time, just like the example I gave about selling that SUV that my ex-wife and I had. And so mm-hmm. most sellers, um, when they've been running their business for 10, 20 years, um, right. they, they think that they're going to have this moment where they cash out and walk away with a big check. And one of the first things that people learn is that there is no big cash-out moment often. Uh, you get a reasonable amount of money for your business because the business is only worth uh, a function of its cash flow. And it, it's wow. not worth the kind of multiples that businesses sell for on the stock market. Now, on, the, on the stock market, businesses sell for you know, 7 to 15 times their earnings. Well, a small local business isn't going to sell for that small little businesses sell for two or three times their earnings, right? 
And that's because the buyer is investing in something really risky, Technicia, and they have to be able to get their money back out in just a couple years because you never know what is going to happen that can destroy a business. You know, Why? We, we often think about, well, we often think about things like, um, you know, take for example, a restaurant, you know, people think that if they've got the right food and the right menu and the right recipe and the right service staff and the right everything that things are going to work out just fine. And it might work out just fine for 10 years. And then the city might decide to replace the sewer pipes in front of the restaurant. And for two months, customers can't get to your door. And so that, it's an example that illustrates just how risky business can be because you can control everything within your power to control and something can still happen to put you out of business that can be completely unforeseen. And, and that's why in, in a lot of my seminars and courses, I teach small business owners that they have to run the business for their benefit, which means producing profit and cash flow, and they got to get that money out of the business and get it into other assets. Because the, the saddest thing that can ever happen is for someone to keep reinvesting in their business to try to grow right. that business and make it bigger, and then something completely unforeseen like the sewer line repair happens, and it destroys all that effort. Um, I have uh, some great success stories that I like to tell from time to time. One of them is oh, yeah. a guy who – who I met, and he got a fantastic opportunity to purchase Levi's jeans. This was back in the 1970s. And oh, he cool. opened up well, – he, he, so he got a great wholesale price, and he ended up opening up a series of small little clothing shops. And what happened was they were very profitable. He made good money. Eventually, though, Walmart came to town. And when Walmart came to town, he saw immediately that he was not able to compete with the prices that they were putting on their jeans. So one by one, as the different leases came up for his retail stores, he closed those stores. Now, over the course of time, he didn't buy the buildings that his, his stores were located in. He didn't keep reinvesting in newer and bigger premises. He was taking his profits off the table all the time. He was buying car washes, apartment buildings, gas stations, corner stores. And so when the sun set on the, on the clothing business, he had uh -huh. already set himself up with all these other assets. And, okay. and that's the, the big message I like to get across to small business people is you got to work the business so it produces a cash flow, and then you got to get the cash away and get it somewhere else so that when the day comes that something happens, you, you've got assets to fall on. You have, you have got wiggle room to get yourself out of a bad situation. Okay. So, like, because I work for Marriott, and that's, I'm sure that's how Marriott operates. And I know they probably have a broker themselves because all the businesses that they have to run and the fact that they bought Starwoods not too long ago, all those properties, I think that was around $12.2 billion they bought out the deal with them. Mm -hmm. and, and you reminded well, me of what, what, what's interesting about a company like Marriott is that um, it, it's, it's really quite rare for a chain mm -hmm. like Marriott to go and build new hotels, right? right. What, what they do is they look for existing profitable businesses, and they buy them and, and add them on like Starwood, right? Okay. And that's, and that's why I often say to people who want to get into business that it's faster, cheaper, easier, and less risky to buy an already existing profitable business than it is to try to start one. Because okay. to be successful in business, you need to have happy paying customers. And right. no matter who you are, when you start a new business, you don't have mm -hmm. that. You know, People are going someplace else. But when you buy an existing business, you get the customers. And that's the hardest part about building a business. The second thing you need are the systems to deliver them a product or service that they want. You know, that, that's another whole ball of wax because I see a lot of people open a business and they, they think they're doing something one way, but until they figure out how to make sure that every customer is served efficiently and successfully, they, they still are not going to have a business. I, I always use the example of a dry cleaner when I'm talking about systems because I find it amazing that you can take two pairs of pants, three shirts, and a jacket to the dry cleaner and you know that your clothes go down different, you know, lines in the back. Like right. the pants go to one place, the shirts go to another place, and then they get washed together with other people's clothes, and then they get 
ironed or pressed and different people are doing that work. And magically at the end of the day, all the clothes come back together and they put them together with a twist tie. And when you return to pick them up, you get all the same items back. And that's a system. And that's what many small businesses struggle with is to figure out how to ensure that every customer is served in precisely the same way. And and if you look at a big business like Marriott, they put a Mm -hmm. lot of effort into training the, all the different people in the in the hotel and in the head office, right? So the, right. the housekeepers, how do you make sure the rooms are clean? There's probably checklists that they use. The front desk staff probably have checklists of how they greet people and check them in and take their payment. The janitorial staff and the maintenance staff, they've all got probably checklists of different tasks that have to be looked at or done daily or weekly. And so it's all about creating those systems so that, everybody in the, in, the, in the business knows what they're supposed to be doing and it all comes together to make sure that the people come in smiling and leave smiling and want to come back. I know, and I think about it from time to time. I never took a business course, but I was like, it's amazing. Start off small. Now, this man, Mayor, Mr. Marriott, now his grandson is holding it down for them. It's amazing. All these hotels, and I do. I sit and think about it like, Everybody in each department, all these different people have different jobs. We have to keep up with certain numbers to get our scores up. And it's just really like, wow, this is a lot. But somebody has to sit down and do all this. And that's what it takes. You have to know what you're doing when you're going to business. Because as my one of my mentors told me, everybody who's in business is not an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur is not a business owner. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think there's a big difference between entrepreneurs and business owners. I think that entrepreneurs are very creative people that like to start things and, and build things up and, and make things happen. And I think a business owner is someone who is more of like a, a manager, someone who, who runs and maintains the system. Uh, right. And, and uh, it, just because of what I've seen over the years, I've, I've seen some people start, sell, or close one business after another and the problem is, is that once they got things going well, they get bored, right? Right. And so their their personality type forces them to keep moving forward into something else. And then you meet other people who are in a business and they run it successfully for 30 or 40 years. And and while they address problems and concerns as they come along, they're, they're happy right. to keep running the same machine every day. And, and so I, I think that a lot of the times you have – entrepreneurs, I think of people like Richard Branson, right? And he started all these big companies. I think the successful ones know when they need to take a step back and let other people run the day to day. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at him, you'll probably see a great example of that, you know, because right. I don't think he's making any decisions day to day about how the airline operates or anything like that. Now me, of course, I'm going into doing that, doing network marketing. And I consider mm-hmm. myself, a typical entrepreneur and of course I changed my mind just like people change their clothes real quick I'm like oh that's not working let me switch over real quick unlike I want to be a business owner like Mr. Marriott I want to be the one where I'm delegating other jobs for other people to do and sit back and investment because that's what business owner is it's about investing that's how, that's how far as it goes to the entrepreneur and, and you was mentioning this um you was talking about the difference between a job and a business owner, and that's what we have, a job, nine to five, self-employed. Those are the things that have no guarantee. If you lose them, what do you do for income? What will happen next? Unlike if you're a business owner like Mr. Marriott, the person who runs Hilton, Sheraton, Carmack, Dunkin' Donuts, they have a guarantee. They're, they have their assets in line. If anything was to happen, a crash, okay, bam, I, I have a backup plan. And you probably won't hear from them now until you start saying, hey, you're losing a bunch of billions of dollars. Then you might hear from You tell Donald Trump, hey, you're losing a billion of dollars. He might do some talking then because, hey, we don't want to start losing money. But, yeah. Oh, exactly. exactly. And the, the, other, the other thing that, that a business has that regular everyday folks do not is that businesses have multiple streams of income in the form of many customers, right? So Marriott's got millions of people that regularly come and stay at the hotel. 
And if they lose one of them, it's, it's not a good thing, but it's not going to kill mm-hmm. their business, right? right. And, and they also have lots of different options as far as suppliers. So if they can't buy soap from their supplier at a good price, they know that they can go and get soap from somewhere else. And so there's multiple streams of income and there's multiple avenues of acquiring the things they need to serve the customers. And whenever mm-hmm. you lose choice on either one of those ends, that's when the, 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 the question in my mind is raised about whether or not you really have a business. So if you go to a job, obviously, you got one source of income. We all recognize that that's not a business, it's a job, and you're depending on that one source of income. But if you're selling something and you're only selling something from one supplier, and uh, a couple of years ago, General Motors, they went through and they, they rationalized the number of dealers that they had uh, in, in large parts of the country. And I knew a guy that had been a GM dealer for 30 years, and they didn't renew his contract. And he had, you know, a big, beautiful building that had been built to look like a GM dealership. And he had a big piece of land that used to be full of pickup trucks and things. And they terminated his contract. And just like wow. that, he didn't have anything to sell. And, and so he didn't have choice on the back end of his business about what mm-hmm. products he was carrying. So, so at the end of the day, you know, did he really have a business or was he just kind of, you know, filling a role for General Motors. And that, that's the challenge. The I always, yeah, that's the challenge I put down for people who are looking at different business ideas right. is to make sure they don't invest time and money creating something ultimately that, that only serves another party's interests. You want to make oh. sure that you build something that is going to serve your interests and, and give oh. you that income yeah. diversification. Yes, you hit it right on the nail with that one, David. That is so true. You got to stop putting money into other people's pockets. What is going to happen for you? What's your guarantee on the line? The same way with insurance, we go get some people don't have life insurance, some do. Then we get the job insurance. You don't have backup insurance. So if you lose that job, then what? You you die. You don't have nowhere to go. So these are things that you really have to think about when you get into business. It sounds a lot, but it's better to take the correct way instead of trying to take the the fast way and then what you have a business up for maybe one good year and then bam it's closed uh, that sucks nobody knows you your website's down and I have seen those things happen a lot to people you go to their website oh this website is not available like oh wow that's not good for business what we're gonna do we're gonna maintain business today so don't touch that dial we're gonna be right back with David and we will get more into his book on how to sell a business so you stay tuned. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You aced vehicle history searches and test drives. You out-salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. All right, we're back with David. And if you're tuning in on my live feed, because I'm on Instagram as well, I do all live feeds, Facebook, um, I'm still doing YouTube, any apps that you can think of with live feed, I'm on it because I like to share my show with everyone. But today I'm doing Instagram, and I'm discussing with David Barnett, who is the man with the plan, been in business since the 90s, and he has all the expertise that you actually need to start a business because a lot of times we get in these businesses and think it's supposed to be Easy, easy to assist, and it's not that way. You can actually lose a business quicker than you start. 
And if you have any questions, please call in at 347-426-3751. And the replay will be available at www.brightsidewithtk.com. And if you're tuning in, please share the show. Show some hearts. Let me know that this is adding value to your life, most definitely. But, David, let's get into more into your to your book because I like it. It's not just a self-help book. This is actually breaking down all quadrants, how to choose a bro- yeah. broker, yeah. What, what type of broker not to get, reasons why not to get a broker. Now, I think here yeah. in Georgia, it's like this to have to be, to be a broker. And, and how do you, David, yeah. how do you go yeah. about not picking the wrong broker and, and how do you know when to get a broker and when not to? Well, basically, if you've got a business that someone is going to want to buy, so if it's if it, okay. you have profits, if you've got profits, then somebody's likely going to want to buy that. Um, if you don't have profit, but you're at least paying yourself a paycheck, then you might find someone willing to step into your shoes if you if you need to get out for one reason or another. So, but if you're not making money, then it's very unlikely that anyone's going to want to buy your business, right? A competitor right. might want to buy your client list or something like that, but taking over the whole business that isn't making money, nobody's willing to pay money to lose money, basically. And so if you've got profits, the question then becomes, do I want to pay someone, a business broker, to sell my business, or do I want to try to do it myself? And and to to reiterate, business brokers sell businesses, not real estate agents, accountants, lawyers, or any of those other types of people. It's a different set of skills from selling anything else. So if you're going to use a broker, you need to hire a business broker. And the first half of my book basically talks about what you have to look for to make sure that you're dealing with someone who's qualified because it can take a long time to sell a business. Um, when I was a business broker uh, between 2008 and 2011, uh, I sold 36 businesses for other people, and it took wow. anywhere between eight, month, eight months and three years to do a deal. And so that, that's a long time to invest in a deal, and mm-hmm. the commission rates can be high. They can be anywhere from 8 up to 15%. And the reason they're high is because it takes a long time and a lot of expertise to do it right. It also means that those commission rates attract a lot of people into the industry that don't necessarily know what they're doing. They think that they're going to come in, sign you up, sell your business in six months, and walk away with $25,000 or something like that. And so I've had so many clients over the years call me up having problems with their deals because they got in bed with the wrong kind of person who didn't know what they were doing, and the deals were messed up, right? And the, the worst thing that can happen for a seller is to have their deal screwed up because for any business that's out there, there might only be a handful of people with the skills, experience, desire, and money to actually purchase. So when you have a buyer who's qualified and wants the business, you have to make sure you're able to get your deal done. You can't waste buyers. It's not like selling a house where there might be 100 people who are going to be happy living there. Every business is unique. So some guy with a background in engineering is likely not going to buy the flower shop or the hair studio, right? So each one's unique. You've got to match them to the buyers. If people decide that they don't want to go down the broker route, the second half of the book tells people how to do it themselves. And I point out all the things that you need help with because people who who run – People who run businesses, they, they get things done, right? They solve problems, they, they, they do things, and they, it's easy for them to believe that they can do everything on their own. And, and the fact of the matter is you can be very successful at running your business. It doesn't mean you're going to know how to price it properly or how to package it properly. And so I walk through the different steps of a deal to – price, package, advertise, and then negotiate and close on selling a business and where the person's going to need other people to help them out. Because, you know, someone who doesn't know any better might say, um, you know, I'll just put a high price on my business and if I have to come down later, I will. And the problem with that is that buyers have an idea of what the business should be worth based on the sales and the cash flow. 
And if you're asking two to three times what it should be worth, the reasonable buyer who knows what they're doing, the one with the money, the credit, and the experience, they're going to take one look at that and they're going to say, this person is foolish. I can't do a deal with this person. And they're not even going to talk to you. And so when a business is overpriced, what happens is the, the credible, reasonable buyers get scared off and you're left with the people who don't know what they're doing, which means you've got two people who don't know what they're doing trying to make a deal. And even if they come to an agreement, once they get to the bank, in all, in all likelihood, the deal will fall apart because the buyer won't cash flow. If he, if he manages to get the loan and the banker will, will show that to him or, um, you know, they don't have the background or the credit, et cetera, to make the bank feel comfortable with the deal. So pricing it right is critical. The second thing is, is packaging. And mm -hmm. you'd be amazed, Nisha, how many people will say my business is for sale. And when a buyer comes along and talks with them for a bit and says, I'm interested, can you give me, you know, the financial statements and the list of assets and all this thing, they don't have it put together. And then they make that buyer wait. And they say, you know, my accountant said he'd be done next week. And then the accountant goes on vacation. And then the seller goes on vacation. And pretty soon days, weeks, and months slip by. That's not the way to sell anything. It's like a car dealer saying, come look at the car. By the way, you're going to have to wait two weeks to find out what the price is. You know, nobody would do that. But business sellers do it all the time, amazingly. <clears throat> then there's the advertising. Um, if people find out that a business is for, is for sale, the business can be destroyed because people okay. won't have confidence. They won't have confidence that the business is going to be around in a few weeks. So if you're going to order something, like if you're going to order catering for an event that you're having in two months' time and you find out the business is for sale, you might worry that it's actually going to close. Maybe the business is failing. You're going to worry that if it sells, the new chef isn't going to be as good as the one today. Or if, if something happens and you're forced to find another caterer, will any other caterer be able to take you on with short notice, right? And so if there's, a, if there's word spreading that that business is for sale, you're probably not going to choose them to do business with. And so that's why it's all got to be kept secret and controlling confidentiality is one of the most important aspects of doing a deal. Uh, and then once you actually find that buyer, you have to work through negotiations and you have to know what the likely terms are going to be. One of, wow. the, one of the things that happens to me quite often is I will have people who are trying to sell a business and they'll come to me asking for some consulting help. And I'll take a look at their business and I'll give them an idea of what it's worth. And then I'll tell them what the likely terms of sale will be. And then they get upset because they've already received an offer like that. But they didn't know it was a good offer. And so they actually turned down a good offer because they didn't have proper expectations set as to what kind of, of deal they would be offered by a buyer. And of course, that relates back to what we talked about earlier about the terms of sale that that businesses just aren't sold on cash terms. There's always some kind of payment over time uh, because the buyers can't get financing for things uh, when they're buying a business. You know, you can, get, you can get financing for the tangible objects, for the inventory. You can get a line of credit for receivables, for example. But if there's goodwill mm -hmm. in the business um, or perishable inventory, it's going to be very difficult for the buyer to get financing, and they're going to rely on the seller to provide that financing. Wow. Boy, I think this is a lot, David. This really makes you really sit down and think, do I really want a business or should I just run to the other side? This is a lot. That's why <laughs> look, my head is swerving over. I'm like, wow, all this. But look at all this that it takes to actually run a business. It's not something that you could just do. You know, yeah, sure, a child can go out there and probably set up a stand and do lemonade. Then you got to figure out, well, how much you're going to sell that value for, how much did you probably spend on them lemons, and maybe that sugar, maybe that pitcher and those cups that you're serving them in. So all this still, they still have to think about that as much. They don't have to have a broker, but look at the steps that you still have to build up even for that. Well, I'm like, okay. Yeah. I, uh, I hope I hope you listeners, you got an ink pen and paper because this, this is a lot, but I love the way, like I said, your book is breaking down every detail of um, why you should be careful on what broker you need to get. Then you go into talking about goodwill, and we're not talking we're not talking about the goodwill where you go buy, but actually with the business and 
now, now we got in part of your book, you say hiring an expert to value your business. Now, why is that so important to have? Well, because of what I was saying earlier, because you don't want to end up in a situation where you overprice the business. You also don't right. want to underprice it, right? And so, okay. so pricing is really critical. And what, what I usually advise my clients is when, when I determine, I had one yesterday, I did an evaluation and, and it came up at a hundred and I think about $189,000 is what I told them the business would likely sell for. Well, their asking price is going to be about 230 because obviously they're going to leave room to negotiate, but, but they're not going to ask 300, right? Because at 300,000, what they're doing is they're telling buyers that they really don't know what they're doing. And for, for people who are trying to buy a business, they learn very quickly that their most valuable resource is their time because you can easily suck, you know, seven months a year into trying to negotiate and pull off a deal with a seller. And it, you know, buyers will only do that once or twice before they realize, Hey, I have to make sure I'm actually dealing with someone who knows what they're doing because I don't have this kind of time left to, to negotiate. When, when people are trying to buy a business, it's usually because, um, they don't like their job or they've lost their job or maybe they're, okay. they're new coming into the country, right? And they, they, maybe there's a language issue. They're not able to get a job, for example. And so these different people have different levels of motivation. And so they, they, don't, they can't afford to sit around and waste their time. You know, the person with a job they don't like, they can wait, but waiting is painful, Right. And the person who's lost their job or the new person to the country, they can't wait forever because they've got to get an income started so that they can actually make a living. And so time is what's important. And when they come across someone who's got a business for sale, who's prepared, who's packaged it properly, who understands what a deal is going to look like and is ready to receive a deal, and they've, they've properly been advised on what it's worth and what the, what the likely offer is going to look like, then the buyer knows that they can actually engage with that seller. And if they're willing to meet the price or come to terms that they can actually do a deal quite quickly. And so time is also the big motivator, usually on the side of the seller too, because uh, I, I mentioned earlier, what kind of multiple small businesses sell for. So people don't sell a business because they want to cash out. You know, it's not everybody's going to be Mark Zuckerberg. With a, with a business that's worth an incredible amount of money, right? Most small businesses are going to work. They're going to produce an income for their owner. And when the owner needs to move on to something else, they can sell them for two or three times that cash flow. And that's about all they're going to get. So, so nobody is going to sell a business, you know, for the money. But sellers will sell a business because of a personal need to move on, which usually means divorce, poor health, the need to relocate, the desire to retire, you know, one of those personal motivations. And so for the, for the seller, um, you know, time is important to them too. And when I was a broker, we had, I was helping people to the best of my ability, but some people, you know, we would, we would wait for buyers to come along a year might go by. And then people would sometimes have to close the business, even though we weren't able to find a buyer and it was a good business because that personal need had become so great that they just couldn't go and make the business work anymore. And it's, okay. that's a really sad story um, when yeah. that happens. But a lot of the times when I see that happen, it's because the seller never got their, their business in order to actually make it marketable so that a buyer could understand what was going on and make an offer and then go to the bank and, and make you know, the loan work. Um, you know, people do things in their small business like, you know, accepting cash they don't declare or putting a bunch of personal expenses into the business. And what they end up doing is they make the business unbankable. Nobody can oh. take those financial statements now to the bank and get a loan because they've never shown any profit on their tax return. Wow. Oh, man. Now, also in, in your book, How to Sell You, how to sell my own business. You mentioned the fact that even when you're getting ready to sell, that should be on the hush-hush, sweet Charlotte style. That should never be advertised. 
And I always bring yes. back Marriott yes. because before we even knew we did before we knew it, they were announcing, Hey, Marriott bought Starwood, but we never knew about those deals. And a lot of the deals mm-hmm. you never know until it comes down the paper. Oh, they bought this, like wow. And I always wonder like well, why they don't mention that. And of course you stated in your book of the reasons why. Yeah. It, it's it's because people don't like uncertainty. It's, you know, especially the employees, but the customers as well don't like uncertainty. And so if you announce these things after they're done, then you're, you're announcing something that happened in the past, and now people can be certain about the future. So if you think about those Starwood employees over there, um, if they mm-hmm. had found out the business was up for sale, they might have okay. worried that maybe Starwood was having trouble. And then maybe okay. they would have thought, gee, I should, have got, I should go get another job somewhere else. I don't feel so secure here, right? But once the deal was done, well, then there's no more insecurities because now they know that the business is going to continue. They're now part of a bigger organization, right? And it can actually help the employees feel more secure about their future because, of course, the Marriott people, the new owners, are going to be telling them, hey, we're, we're going to be running this business. We've got plans to grow it, and we're going to invest in the hotels, and we're going to make things nicer, and the business is going to be stronger, right? And that's, that's music to the ears of an employee, it means that they've got a, a secure future with the business. Right. And then that's a lot of times, even even with fear on the media, when you see it and you hear the advertisements, because advertisements have, they do this a lot. Closing out, sale, sale, sale. And you're like, why are you closing out? Is something wrong with the location? Did something happen? Because those are the questions, like you were saying in your book, people start wondering, like, why are you actually closing down? Now you're putting fear into other people, and that's what, most of the time, half of them don't be closing. That's the fear they put into us to make us believe that. So you can go on out. Yeah, catch those sales. Now we can make our profit and build up because we got that little bit. It's it's all it's all a cat and mouse game most of the time with these businesses. Most of them do not be going out of business. Some of them do, but I don't think all of them. I just think it's a scare tactic they like to use. Well, I think that, you know, for things like furniture stores, and I, I can I – can, hear it in my head. I know exactly the kind of advertisement you're talking about on the radio. Um, a lot of the times, you know, if I, if I don't buy a couch tomorrow, it's okay. I'm going to make it through the day. And if I don't buy a couch next week, it's okay. I'm going to make it through the day. So when do I need to buy the couch, right? Right. And these businesses are trying to create urgency and they're trying to say, you don't need to buy the couch, but if you want to save $300, you better buy the couch today. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and then the, the urgency isn't about buying a couch. It's about saving the $300. Right. And uh, yeah, I know what you mean. They're, they're advertising that they're closing out or they're going out of business. And, and then, you know, the same people are still working there in three months time and maybe they have a different name and maybe they didn't even bother doing that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess, David, is that a good way to really increase your sales by creating a sense of urgency when you're dealing in business? Well, I don't know. I know I'm not really a retail marketing expert. I, I know that people do those kinds of tricks because they've been proven to work. Uh, in, in my business, my consulting business, uh, I believe that my business grows because of relationships and because people understand that, that I, I am actually going to be able to help them. And that's why I do things like interviews with you, Technicia, just so people get a chance to meet me. And if they want to right. learn more, they can come on my website. I think I've got 250 YouTube videos now where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small businesses. Yeah, you do. And, and I, I, was in, I was in, yeah, it's a ton. And, and the reason I do that is because, number one, I want to help people. And it doesn't cost right. me my time to have people watch my videos. But when, when the time comes when I can help someone with an issue they're facing, then they can know that I'm the person who can help them. And, and uh, if I can't help them, I'm the first person to tell them and, and direct them to the kind of person that, that could. And, you know, so, so if someone came to me asking to increase how they could increase their furniture sales, I would tell them that I'm not the guy. Um, <laughs> but that's just because <laughs> I focus on the things that I do, right? Exactly. And – People, you do. You have to get this book because it's so it, it's so much in here. It's, it's so much information that David and I can't go through it all, and it's probably not meant to be because we really want you to read this because we're talking about non-disclosure agreements, everything 
that you need to do to do your business right. And, of course, as David mentioned, and he also mentioned that you can do it on your own. It's, it's just going to take it's going to take time, and that's that's basically what it is. It takes time to get your business on the right track, but you'll feel so good once you get there. David, um, you mentioned your website. Give the listeners your website where they can go to if they need to acquire any information from you. Yes, it's easy. It's my name. It's davidcbarnett.com, and um, and. It, and that's the central place. And I've got other websites, but they all branch off from there. And that's my blog. And I put a new video up every week. And if people would like to have my new weekly video in their in-mail box, they just have to sign up for my email list every Friday morning. I push out a new one. Uh, and they're almost always based on questions that people have submitted. So if somebody does have a, a question about buying, selling, or managing their small business, please come on over and submit it. And I'm more than happy to answer them in a video. Dave, I really, I do, I really appreciate you for coming, for coming on this show. It's just so much, and as I, I will repeat again, the book "How to Sell My Own Business," which is a guide to selling your own business privately and not pay a broker's commission. If um, I, I'm assuming, if you can get around doing these are ways that you can do, but David breaks it all the way down. Like literally, this book is not missing a beat. It's going from lawyers. And everything, and that, of course, I, I know. Especially like we've been talking about Marriott. Marriott has that in order. You got your broker. We got lawyers. Anything happens, we got that. So it, it goes on from buyers guarantee. Oh, just just make sure you please get. It. I have it on Kindle, most definitely Amazon. Um, are there other websites you can get it off to, David? If you prefer, is it in stores? Like if I go to Barnes and Noble, I can get it right there too. You can you can order it through other booksellers, but uh, it's generally for sale in paperback on Amazon and Kindle, and you can also get it as a PDF from my own website, davidcbarnett.com. Are there any last words you'd like to give them advice on as far as business? No. I, I think that the number one thing for everyone to remember is that, you know, People feel that they are secure when they have a job and they have the same money coming in every two weeks or every week. I just want you to remember one thing. The reason that someone is paying you to do what you're doing is because you're actually delivering more value in your job than it costs them to pay you. And so if you're able to deliver more value in the world, why aren't you doing it for yourself? Because owning a business and having other people working for you as well is the only real way that we have of, of creating great wealth. It's, it's leveraging the efforts of other people so that you end up collecting something off of what they've done. And if you have a job today, someone's doing your part of their plan. And so I always say to people, you should have your own plan. And if you want to get into business the fast way, it is easier to buy an existing business. And if you don't have a lot of money, there are businesses out there that are getting by and maybe not incredibly profitable but it would probably be easier for you to get into one of those businesses than to take on the risk of starting something from scratch. I I definitely definitely agree. Nothing wrong with you working your nine to five, but just have something in plan for yourself. It's it's always good to have something for entrepreneurship and business up under your belt. And as I always said on my previous shows, and my mentor said this himself. This world was built off entrepreneurs. It was built off business owners. That's what it's all about. But, David, thank you so much for coming in. I do appreciate your time. And before I leave you, you're welcome, David. And before I leave everyone, I'd like to give my truth for the day from my friend and who was a former guest on my show, Ellen Signovich. Her truth for the day is confidently enjoy the energy the universe sends to you. The universe, God, will shine natural energy and attention on you when you share your sparkling personality with our world. Focus on being yourself and being happy. This will bring you positive responses from other people, creating a natural energy flow to assist you through your day. Be happy with your life, seeking nothing from anyone else. Today, as you go through your day, allow your energy to speak with confidence. Enjoy the day and have lots of fun this weekend. Confidently share your energy with others. And if you're not happy, about what is actually going on in your life. Now, this is not from Truth of the Day.
Do something about it. Don't just sit there. There is always something to do. Don't sit there and complain about that nine to five, knowing, hey, be appreciative that you got that nine to five. But if it's something that you don't like, don't bother anyone else with your problems. You created that. You went out and got that job. Nobody else told you to. You could apply for something else. So today, make it a fact to change something that you know is changing. And you'll see how better you'll feel. But I'll see you next time on the Bright Side with Technicia. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 